I'm I'm like two glasses of wine and I'm like, fuck that patriarchy. Welcome back to Hate Spinnerbait, the podcast where we hate spinnerbait, but we love Victorian doll collections. Oh, ooh, <laughs> good one. I'm Michael Ann, and with me as always is Bethany. Bethany, how's it going? How's your life? So good. I'm happy to report that I thankfully don't have any creepy could-be-possessed porcelain dolls staring at me right now, so I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> <laughs> me either, so <laughs> 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. No notes. I'm ready to dive into we're still not even at the like okay it's getting heavy it is definitely getting heavier and we have some warning signs and there is some parental abuse um so we're gonna go ahead and get the trigger warning out right here at the top again we are reading dreamland right now obviously this is a very difficult novel to discuss there is definitely a lot of potentially triggering things. So like we said last week at the top of our episode, we will be giving a blanketed trigger warning. So if you want to skip out on this one, if uh, abusive relationships are going to be triggering for you, please come join us when we are on our next lighter novel. But yeah, we're not even like that too bad. That sounds terrible to be like, it's not that bad yet, but like it's not even that bad yet still. And I'm still already just like, Mm-hmm. I have a glass of wine for this one today. Yes. So. <laughs> oh, I kind of want to text my husband and ask if he can bring me up some wine. <laughs> Do it, like, Mike. Really, I want to text him right now, actually. Get your wife some wine and the latest urine report. <laughs> Please, yes, we need the latest on the urine. Please and thank you. We'll now be going to Mike for weekly urine reports, everyone. <laughs> this is what everyone, if you're not in your 30s yet, this is what you have to look forward to in your 30s. Is a happening Saturday night is a glass of wine and a book club, basically. (laughs) You're like, yeah, doing it. (laughs) Here we are. We're doing it. No regrets, honestly. None. Yes. And the fact that we both said, oh my God, we're recording so late and it's eight (laughs) Eight o'clock. And we're like, wow, this is is a really late start. I don't know if we're going to be able to, or it's going to be a time. Also, I wanted to be known. How much this podcast like takes up my like how much of like my conversations or through this now, like either recording with you or like in the discord or whatever, is just like talking about the books and the random other things that come up that today when I was hanging out with a couple of friends that were from out of town visiting the amount of times I was like, Oh yeah. When we were recording the podcast. So funny. My clan when I were talking about it and I was like, Oh my God, I'm nauseating. Like the amount of like, I really like wasn't trying to plug my friend already knows about my podcast, obviously, but just so many conversations I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Like two weeks ago on the podcast, we were talking about 
And I was like, oh, I guess like these are, this is my life now. I just bring up conversations I have on my podcast. What a cool kid I am. Yep. That's, oh. that's, that's correct. <sighs> All right. Let's, I guess, now that we got that's some joy nice. out of the way, chapter four. <laughs> we're we done with that joy. We're done with joy. Let's get into depressing. Oh, I didn't stuff. do a recap. Oh my God. Yes. Oh. Oh, what am I? Is this is my first rodeo. Yeah, Michael Ann, you got to read. <laughs> also, Mike did bring me the wine. So, Ooh, cheers, white wine cheers. girlies. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, recap. Okay, so a recap. We are back in Lakeview, y'all. We are um, looking at the McCorin family. Cass is the older sister, and we open with her running away from home. Um, on the main character, Caitlin's 16th birthday, which, okay, girl. Um, <laughs> basically, Cass was like the perfect daughter. She was on her way to Yale. She was protesting. She was advocating. She was wonderful. And mom and dad were obsessed. Mom, particularly. And now that she's gone, the whole family's kind of falling apart. Um, Caitlin has been living in her shadow forever. So she's trying to like, distinguish herself so she becomes a cheerleader which Cass never did and she has her best friend Rita who's like the hot girl which by the way Sarah Dustin always has a hot best friend yeah always like the best friend's always like oh she's so much hotter than me all the boys love her I'm like oh my gosh this is another mommy issues and hot best friends is that just Mm -hmm. like being like the nerdy girl I guess you know, because it's like if she's an author, like she probably was a little bookish growing up and people reading her books are obviously going to be people who gravitate toward that. Does she just think that like that's something that's relatable to us? Because she's right. But <laughs> <laughs> she's right. She's so right. Oh, God. I was always like, I'm the dumb. I was talking my friend. I have like one remaining friend from high school. Shout out, Emmy. What's up, girl? And we were, I was like telling her like how I thought it was funny that I was like the dumb one of our friends. And she was like, we never thought you were the dumb one. And I'm like, really? (laughs) I've been telling everybody my whole life that I was the dumb one. And I I hung out with all the smart kids, but I was stupid. And she was like, no. She's like, no, we thought you were pretty bright. And you're like, oh my God, thank you. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, I feel... It's weird because obviously I did most of my friends like you make friends with people that you're in classes with. And obviously I was in like a lot of like honors types classes and I'm very not good at like math science stuff. Like I was much more of like the history English girl. So I was always very strong in those classes. But yeah, I felt like the dumb friends because like all of my friends like basically went to college, like be engineers and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to go study words. (laughs) 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 But, you know, we all have our own strengths. Like they aren't good at as as good of words as I am. So (laughs) all it's funny because in high school, all my friends were in advanced classes and the National Honor Society. And I Mm. was not. I was in advanced math. Oh, see, you're the opposite. I I could not do math. (laughs) But I was in, like, the lower level science. Like, I started, Mm. like, there was, like, a special class for kids who are really bad at science freshman year. And that's where I began my journey. 
I had to take like dumb math classes in college because they were like this girl doesn't test well in math and I was like you were correct because <laughs> I am not good at math <laughs> but I got my college uh shared you like the prereqs I like got those done and I was like okay no more math for me thank you <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't even remember I did my math prereqs so early I don't even remember doing them but that's trauma for you guys for I you. should definitely remember that it was like 10 years ago so <laughs> she's blacked it out she's blacked it out <clears throat> oh, Lord. oh man anyway back to this back to this so anyway okay so basically Cass ran away with some guy that works on a jerry springer type show and uh the family's falling apart and caitlin is like whoa this is wild and that is where we leave off and that's what you missed on glee <laughs> To this day, I want you to know that show has not had like a cultural impact in years. And honestly, really only the first season was good. Eh, some of season two. Season two had Darren Chris, so it was good. But after that, it pretty much fell off. But to this day, when I'm recapping things to my friends in like person now on this podcast, if someone recaps something, I'm like, and that's what you missed on Glee. Like, it just comes to me. <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't even, like, when have I watched that show recently? But that's, it's the first thing that pops in my mind. I can't help it. To be Man, honest that we're all caught up. Yes. The best Christmas music on the market right yeah. now is Glee Christmas yeah. music. The Glee like, Christmas music is fantastic. It slaps. It does. They, I mean, I could listen to the music. I have, I'm certain I saw some of the Glee, like, cast recordings on my phone. Like, I cannot stress how much I love Darren Chris. So I, I'm certain I have, like, his version of Teenage Dream, I think. I, like, still bop to in my car to this day. I love <laughs> so that good. song, like, period. So That's, like, one of my top songs. It's that a song's good song. very good. It is very good. And it's very, I mean, obviously I'm obsessed with, like, coming of age stuff. So it's, like, it fits in that realm. Okay, so chapter four. Chapter four. (laughs) Here we go. This chapter, obviously the big thing that happens, wait, toward the end, yes, I believe is is meeting Rogerson. That does happen in this chapter, I believe. Yep, yep, okay, it does. Um, That's the big thing. But basically it starts off with, she's going into a little bit about how she hates cheerleading and she's kind of basically doing it to make her mom happy because her mom has finally like found a purpose in life. Um, and of course the Victorian style dolls, Victorian style, she kind of says everything, but really the Victorian era dolls is what's keeping her afloat right now. Kind of, this is a new hobby she's found. Apparently her father, when she's not looking like turns them around because he says it's like too many people staring at her, which yeah, respect. (laughs) My grandma was a big porcelain doll collector and I always loved them, but sometimes when you were in a room at night, like if I had like a slumber party or whatever at my grandma's and I was in a room by myself at night, it was a little creepy. So I my get mom, it. My mom is a porcelain doll person. Does she have porcelain dolls? She does. Like I it's such a funny I don't I don't know. Like I don't know anyone like our age that collects them, but it is like a thing. Like that you grandma's such a probably thing to collect them. Your grandma's probably like my mom's age. How old's your grandma? No, my grandma is definitely older. She's passed away, but she um she died when she she died in 2000 and like 10, 2010, 2011, she was in her 80s. So my grandparents oh. on my mom's side, again, Irish Catholic. Um my, my grandpa fought in World War II. So like they were <laughs> 
<laughs> bless them. But like they lived through like the Great Depression old. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Same. But it was great because like, and that's why I was so obsessed with history is because like I literally, my grandma, I will hand on Bible, one of my best friends of all time. Like I loved her. I think they got 19 wonderful years with her. Super fortunate. Wish I could have gotten more, but honestly feel fortunate that I got 19 years with her. Um, love that woman to pieces, literally one of my best friends of all time. And I think that is why I was so obsessed with history is because I literally hung out with someone who like lived through so many big, like she could tell me about the great depression. She could tell me about world war two. Like she lived through all that. And like, was like, she was engaged to my grandpa in world war two. So they were like older. So like had actual good memories, like had memories of Pearl Harbor, had memories. She was in Alabama when MLK was shot actually. So she has like very vivid memories of that. So like anything I learned in history that was like somewhat modern, I could literally go home and be like, grandma, where were you when this happened? Do you remember this happening? And she could tell me like firsthand account. And I was obsessed. <laughs> it's like my own little history lessons. Every episode, your family gets cuter <laughs> and more like idyllic. And I'm just we're, over here like, are we're honestly really adorable. <laughs> that is not my experience. <laughs> by this is like very much on my mom's side. My dad's side is like not as idyllic, trust me. <laughs> but alas. You porcelain okay. dolls. Back back to the Yeah. Back, back to, to porcelain dolls. Back to okay. So essentially Kaylee hates cheerleading, but she realizes that it's giving her mom something to do, which makes her happy, even if it does now kind of she's like, oh, God, I kind of get the pressure that Cass felt a little bit. So we kind of start off this chapter and she is explaining how she was chosen for top of the pyramid because she's the lightest. That kind of makes this one girl hate her because she went on birth control and apparently gained 15 pounds, which like, girl, yeah, we've all been there. We get it. (laughs) So she's obviously through the over the summer, this girl Eliza Drake gained the, the weight, and so she's no longer at the top of the pyramid. So that makes her sad. Um, we would call those flyers in cheerleading lingo. The lighter people were flyers, and everyone else who was not as light were the bases. Um, so they're doing this whole pyramid thing, and she ends up basically kind of getting injured while doing it, and she's just kind of reflecting. Um, like through this injury, through this chapter, she's kind of explaining how she heard someone yell out. I'm like, I think I'm jumping this way ahead in the chapter. But a lot of this is like, it's one scene in this chapter, but it's like flashbacks as she's like falling off the pyramid, you get like other information. So it's kind of hard. I'm going to jump around a little bit in this one. I apologize. But um, she heard someone call out like Cass. And that's what like, throws her off balance or whatever. But she was saying she felt like someone was like speaking to her, essentially. I just want to say, um, I did highlight one area on page 44 mm-hmm. that says, the truth was I was trying not to look too hard at anything, not at myself, the swans, my mother mouthing the cheers along with me, the crooked ashtrays, the tired look on my father's face when another Yale bulletin came in the mail. It was easier to mm-hmm. just float along as if sleeping that whole first part of the year, going through the motions and starting like one of the... And staring like one of those ghostly dolls waiting for something to wake me up. And I wrote here that she is like primed and ready for an abuser to take advantage of her. She's oh, yeah. Like the perfect amount of vulnerable and like disconnecting with herself because she's already disconnecting with herself by cheerleading to make her mother happy in the first place because she doesn't mm-hmm. like it. So she's just kind of like, she's she's ready. She's like, Perfect timing to get abused. 
Okay, so yeah, it's basically at the end of the chapter that we get back to the falling off, how she like fell off the pyramid and it's the guy yelling Cass. And so she was saying that like, so the night she falls off the pyramid, essentially, again, the way the chapter, it's not like in exact chronological order, but the night that she falls off the pyramid is also the night that she ends up going to the party where she meets Rogerson. And so she was saying she felt like this guy yelling out Cass, which distracted her and is how she ended up falling, was like her calling out to her. So, of course, it's like, I think she takes it as a sign that the night that she meets Rogerson, she felt like she was getting this connection from her sister, which she's so desperately mm-hmm. been wanting, which obviously, no. And again, like you're saying, it's like she's so primed right now to enter an abuse because like literally right now she's like, oh, like a guy yelling at my sister's name while I'm doing a cheerleading pyramid is a sign. Like she is just so grasping at straws for some kind of connection. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. And it's like, oh, of course you think you get a sign from your sister the night that you meet this guy. And even though, which we'll get into as we get into the next couple of chapters, literally, I don't understand why she was attracted to him, like, at all. Like, I don't know how they even no. get past a first date after the, the terrible first date that they have. But I think it was just she was so desperate for connection and it's this weird like she's in that night she's so in this mood of like oh i got a sign for my sister kind of thing um i just skip ahead a little bit to the end of the chapter so we can go back to i have a few other things mostly the the big meeting which is they're like cleaning out the car after a game because the one friend who has the car like her boyfriend puked in it and she's like trying to get that out and they're like i don't even know you're bothering he's just gonna puke in it again And so her friend is basically telling her, like, uh, her friend Rena is all like, she's with the quarterback because, of course, she is. Because what she kind of explains, like, oh, you know, she becomes a cheerleader. She immediately gets with the quarterback. And so one of the players on the team is this guy, Mike Evans, which I love. It's, like, the most generic white guy name of all time. Like, like, I love how they wanted to make him, like, boring and whatever. And Sarah Dustin's like, I know the name, Mike Evans. And she's right. So they basically, she's explaining, like, while they're, like, Lysoling the car and all of that about how, like, oh, Mike, Ab- Mike Evans is going to give you his letter jacket tonight. And, like, you guys are going to be a thing. And Caitlin's kind of like, I don't even, like, know him. Like, I basically, like, we barely interacted. But sure, I guess. Um, so, yeah. So they're going to, like, head to this party. And while basically they're getting the car vacuum, she has to go get quarters. And um, this is where she first meets Rogerson, which, uh, yeah, at the end of page, sorry, at the bottom of page 49, I got my first look at Rogerson Bisco, which, God, wish she wouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) And she gives a, a description of him, which is, this is so... Listen, Sarah Dustin, I love you so, 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 so much. And I think that you're a brilliant writer. But this description is the most, like, how all authors were for some reason describing men in the early 2000s. It's like olive complexion. Why was everyone olive toned in (laughs) the early 2000s? What does that even mean? I do not know. A little bit later, basically, it sounds like he's, like, of Greek descent. So, like, that's what she means, I guess. And his hair is, like, a big thing that keeps coming up. Like, the way his hair looks, which basically sounds like he's a white guy with uh, dreadlocks, which, big yikes. Yeah. Yeah. First warning sign should have been that. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I was thinking, like, olives. When I think olive skin, I think, like, I don't know, Greek people. But then I'm like, am I thinking that because 
olives. Olives? Is that like me stereotyping olives? I don't know. I have alabaster white skin is what I have. Yeah. If I was described in a coming of age novel, they would describe me as alabaster white. (laughs) Ghostly. Sickly looking. (laughs) Maybe like a Victorian porcelain doll from QVC. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Honestly, when I write my memoir one day, guys, that's the description I'm going to (laughs) pick. Victorian air doll from QVC. That's my complexion. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. He sounds gross. Um, Penny loafers, rich, pretentious douchebag. Mm. And, like, but here's my thing. Yes, he sounds like a rich, pretentious asshole. He has a BMW. He's wearing penny loafers with no socks. He's wearing mm-hmm. khakis. And, but he has dreadlocks right i can't grasp it in my head like what no. like, what does this man i'm rejecting the dreadlocks in my head yeah i can't i can't fathom it like the first time she explains it it's like his hair massive curls thick enough that they were almost like dreadlocks but then every other time it's explained it's basically like it's dreadlocks and it sounds like his parents kind of hate it because they're rich people but yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I can't, I can't fathom this dreadlocks look with the rest of what he kind of sounds like he is. There is, not to go on another tangent, I'm so sorry. There is this man who lives in Albany mm-hmm. and he is a creepy predator, but he has one, he's white, he has one thick dreadlock that mm-hmm. goes all the way down to the ground. Oh, and it's that's just his, one. That's his hair. It's like a tube of dreadlock all the way down to the ground. Oh. It is like if he wasn't a predator, it would still be fucking disgusting. But yeah. now that I know he's but a predator, it adds to it. Yeah, it really adds to it. And it is. I think about it sometimes because I'm. Like, this is also why smell. every black person I've ever met is like, "This is why white people can't have dreadlocks." Not because. It they're like the culture appropriation is bad enough, but they're like they don't know how to take care of it. Like you have you ever like someone who actually knows how to properly dreadlock hair, and you've heard them talk about like white people dreadlocks, and they're like it's a mat, it's a mat, it's a mat, mm-hmm. and they call it a dreadlock, and it's not like it's a totally different art form. And I'm like no, totally. Like some yeah. white people dreadlocks are just like so bad because they don't know how to like maintain them, you know? And like that's what that guy sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. It's and he's like proud of it, and I'm like. Ugh. Dude, I'm, no. It's gross. I saw him walking down the street one time and I am like, you Ew. need you need to get that sawed off yeah, in the middle like, of the night. You it need, has to be like filled. You need help, man. It's pro- it's like probably only like 20% hair at this point, if we're being honest. Oh, I mean, I would assume. I would assume. That's anyway. The white the dreadlocks is gonna distract me throughout this entire I, I really I'm, I'm I know. I'm like, so random rich Greek descent, like he says something like his mom is Greek, I guess, um, guy, but with dreadlocks, apparently. I don't know. Very distracting. So they have like a quick little like banter, nothing that interesting, really. Like they don't, again, I don't know like why she is impressed. All of them are like, ooh, who's that? And I guess it's just because like, 
I don't know, when you're in high school and you see the same boys all the time, day in and day out, like you get, I don't know, fresh meat, so to speak. And you're like, oh, that's someone new to crush on. But still, I'm like, I don't know why any of you are attracted to him because he does not sound attractive. But Mm-mm. I guess. And then she's like, oh, his name's Rogerson. And Rena's like, oh, that's sexy, which like. Yeah, it's kind of a cool name. I'm not going to lie, but it is. It is it's cool ruined name. by his whole personality. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, he's hot, I guess. And then they go to the party. I want to say that Kelly's boyfriend is going to, like, die during, like, hazing at a frat house. Oh, year. my God. Yes. I see that in his future. She gets to the party and he's already passed out on the floor against the refrigerator (laughs) like what how long has this party been going on how have you already had that much to drink right yeah if you're this sloppy in high school your freshman year of college is gonna be alcohol poisoning written all over it for sure for sure so they're at the party and um they're playing quarters constantly which is funny i've never played quarters um myself but i did play a mean flip cup and uh beer pong oh yeah beer pong so then rogerson shows up mm-hmm. because he is bill's drug dealer dun, 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 dun. yeah yeah pretty much and then on page 57 which okay so yes yeah, so he shows up because he's basically bill's drug dealer so obviously he's they're doing a little droppy drop um, and then she basically is like with Mike and it's just like, like Mike's trying to make the move on her and she's like, yeah, I gotta go. Cause she spots Rogerson and wants to go like hang out with him. And she basically is just like, take me home. Like that's her, that's her move. It's just like, Hey, can you drive me home? And he's like, okay. Um, so he's like, oh, I had plans, but they weren't really about me. And then he has the right to say, which again, I was like, oh, dang, we never did our Keeping the Moon Taylor Swift top three songs. We definitely have to do it for this one. It's starting with Dreamland, y'all. We're going to do it. But this line, I literally had a headache. So it's just like, ironic that you're saying this, sir. But also, um, Taylor Swift, I knew you were trouble. He said in a low voice, could tell just by looking at you. And it's like, first of all, the script should be flipped there. Second of all, that is a good song for this book. Mm-hmm. If I were to pick a two, I mean, that's like the kind of more fun upbeat one. There will probably be a couple. The other ones will be a little more depressing, but that one is um, is basically, you know, surprising. Uh, I also have to say that I highlighted I highlighted this as well because. I find that people who are going to be abusive always start the relationship off by saying, I knew you were going to be trouble or you are trouble or something along those lines. It's like if you start dating someone and they say that to you right away, run, run. (laughs) I was waiting for it. (laughs) Oh, the amount of times we were going to say run when we were discussing this novel, y'all. Oh, prepare. <laughs> prepare. Prepare yourselves, prepare your mind and your body. No, and like, and that's totally, like, you're totally right. Because that's 100% the thing that abusers do, right? Is they always put the blame on you. Mm-hmm. So it's always like, oh, look at the trouble you're going to get me in. Or, oh, I knew you were trouble. Or, you know, 
again, one of Taylor Swift's worst song because, uh, but you know, look what you made me do. Like that kind of terminology is what they always use, especially after they have wronged you. Then it's like, well, I'm sorry I lost my cool back there, but I wouldn't have had to if you hadn't had. And then they gaslight you and tell you all the things you did wrong. So yeah, he's already, again, they have just met. She's all like, hey, drive me home. Because again, I don't know why. Mostly because she's, again, trying to step out of Cass's shadow. And she's like, well, Cass wouldn't do this. Like she'd go hang out with Mike Evans. I'm going to go hang out with the guy with the white man dreadlocks. Eh. <laughs> um, so, so she asks for him. And already he's just like, giving her crap for absolutely nothing and they like drive home and they're already like making out in the car i literally highlight on page 58 uh the kissing part because he's already like trying to take off her bra and i go that was quick is the note i wrote i'm like you know nothing about each other and again no shame in that if that's what you're into but I don't think that's the case, at least on Caitlin's side, that which she is basically like, oh, crap, curfew. I got to go. But um, but yeah, it was just like, oh, wow, we're OK. We're macking in the car already. Mm-hmm. And she asked him, she's like, what's your last name? Because she was saying, I realized as he struggled to unhook my bra that I didn't even know his whole name. And this suddenly seemed wrong. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah girl. girl. And he has dreadlocks. Not- so... <laughs> That's enough. Already. Let's cut it there. <laughs> Already a hard pass for me. Thanks. Oh, so yeah, so she uh, basically then finishes off this chapter talking about how she goes in and is telling um, she writes in like the dream journal because she wants to like tell Cass about this essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also want to say that it's freaking weird that some guy in the stands was like repeatedly yelling Cass's name. Like, even if that <sighs> was Cass, what are you Why doing? Do that? Should you be on a registry? It's very bizarre to me. Very bizarre. Okay. So, yeah. chapter five. Of course, Rogerson doesn't uh, call her for several days. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does reiterate over and over again like I'm basically like being with him to step out of Cass's shadow and be yeah. like, my own independent person which I feel like my first abusive relationship that's kind of what I was trying to do as well but honestly I don't even know oh I this mean- is when we see Cass um, in the Lamont with her show for the first time yes. the camera like stays on her for a very long time it feels yeah like. um and her mom is kind of like she like kneels in front of the tv and has almost cries. like a religious experience yeah. in a sense like she really has a moment which again i totally understand like she's been so worried about her daughter and she sees that she's like alive and well which is reassuring i will also say so in this chapter in the next couple of chapters. So they have this whole moment. They do immediately try to call the show afterwards. It's like, okay, we now 100% certain. We already had our suspicions that she was with the guy that was working on the show. So they'd already called this number before, but now they know that she is working on the show as well. So they call and they're like, hi, just want to leave a message for a staff member. She's our daughter. Tell her that we love her. We miss her, whatever. But I also was kind of like, okay, you know exactly where she is now. 
and these parents seem a little overbearing. I'm amazed that they didn't immediately get in the car and head to New York and head to the like studio of that show and like wait for her. Like I'm honestly amazed that like basically her mom just now just like religiously watches that show to see if she could like see her. And I'm like, North Carolina to New York is not that long of a drive for your like missing daughter, essentially. <laughs> so part of me is like proud of them for respecting her boundaries and like letting her be and letting her come on her own terms back to them but another part of me is like my dad would have had his ass in that car and would have been up <laughs> to new york immediately if he knew where i was yeah yeah that is surprising honestly um but also it is i bet if they showed up it would have been nothing but trouble yeah and then she may have not stayed there anymore because she knew she'd been found out or she would have it would have just led to a fight and it would have it wouldn't have ended well and they might have not gotten any more communication. I think honestly the smartest thing was was leaving that message and just being like, let her know that we love her. Like, we love you. We we know you're okay. Come contact us on your terms, basically, is kind of how I, I took that message, which I will give them I'm gonna give them credit on that. Another thing I thought was sort of funny about this chapter is that, like we said, of course, Rogerson doesn't contact her. But then I also was like, girl, I don't think you ever gave him a way to contact you. So what do you really expect? And then she's like, I expect him to show up at another game or a party or even just drive past my house so they enough to draw to the window or outside. He didn't. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't really know how you expected to like, it would have been one thing if she was like, oh, here's my number. Call me. But she never really does say that. So I was like. I guess, like, you know, back then, back in the day, back in the olden days, um, he could have just looked her up in the yellow pages like he knows her address. Yeah, that is true. And we had like landlines back in the day. So he could have, yeah, just like literally right. looked up her house and called her like house phone. Because again, right. I doubt she, I mean, I guess by 2000, some people had cell phones, but not like many people. So, and they were trying to pay for their one daughter to go to Yale. So they don't have cell phone money. (laughs) They're like, oh, that's going to tuition. Not anymore. They're like, oh shit, we're rich now. (laughs) All that money we saved. (laughs) Uh, I also love, I highlighted this on page 66. They're like at cheerleading practice and it's like gone long because the girl is trying to. uh, Oh, no, no, no. I'm so sorry. This is when they're at the old folks home, for lack of a better word, like the nursing home. That's the word I'm looking for. This is when they're at the nursing home and they do their little performance and then the next guy comes up to do God even knows what. And so Rena's like, I'm over this. And she's like, I'm going outside for a cigarette. And Eliza um, is like, oh, I'm right behind you. And I was like, man, I love that. Like in 2000, you just had like high schoolers going out to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> right? I know. I was like, oh, girls, that's not good for you. <laughs> Nowadays, they just be like pulling a vape out in vape, the middle yeah. of the room. Like 100%. Pulling... Like all the you old don't people have to go like... outside anymore. No. Mm-hmm. I also highlighted a spot on page 66. Um, that was like another, you know, sign that She's going to be able to get into a bad relationship and no one's going to notice. She says, um, talking about her mom, she had been so preoccupied catching every airing of the Lamont Whipper show, which was on daily at 11, 3, and 10 at night on various channels. She hadn't even noticed anything different about me this last week. She'd only seen Cass on one more show, but she still sat through all the catfights and cussing, waiting for another glimpse. 
Yeah. Yikes. Poor Pay attention to both of your kids, man. For the love of God. Honestly. (sighs) She does unfortunately get her wish, though, to run into Rodderson again because while they're at this nursing home, he, as we find out a little bit later, is doing community service. So her mom, who's there with the junior league, is like, oh, Caitlin, you know, while you're not doing your cheerleading, go in the back and bring out another tray of cookies. And who's back there dishing out the cookies? Rogerson, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So, and then again, he's talking about how great his hair is, which, no, it's not great. And she's all like, why aren't you going to call me? And he's like, I didn't know your last name. And she's like, you know where I live? which, as you pointed out, is probably how he could have called her. Um, and so he's like, yeah, I was working on that, blah, blah, blah. And he's just all, like, cocky and is like, you know, I've got great hair, basically. Meh. Gross. So and then gross. they make out. Yep. <laughs> and then they make out. Ugh. And she's like, cool. This is it. This is my guy. Ladies, ladies, ladies. Yep. And they're going to go on a little date together, which her mother doesn't think is the the best idea. But um, it is agreed upon that because it is a Saturday that they can go. And apparently they also knew his parents. His mother is like a local realtor. So her face is all over town. And um, the dad was the head of the local pharmaceutical corporation and golfed at the same country club. So again, they're rich. He goes to Perkins Day, which is like the rich private school. They live in an even more uppity neighborhood than she does. Like she lives in like the, you know, like your upper middle class neighborhood. And these people live in like the even more <laughs> than that right. kind of neighborhood. That's what it sounds like. So it's like, well, he comes from good stock. So like, we'll allow you to go out with him. And here we have, again, I highlighted this because two books in a row now we have where someone is a, a junior, but they're the younger brother because he has yes. an older brother named Peyton and he is the Rogerson junior to the Rogerson senior. So we had Norman and Keeping the Moon and now Rogerson. I think that is very weird that that has come up in two novels. Just had to point that out. We'll add that to the list of questions we're going to ask her. Yeah. So we have a, have a lot about that. Um, he's uh, a fifth year senior, we find out, because he had to take some time off for some problems with it with administration. <laughs> by the way, we so, are on chapter six. Oh yeah, sorry. I apologize. I just jumped <laughs> on in, but we are in chapter six, everyone. Um, Rogerson, much like Macon, sounds like he's a freaking criminal. Just yeah, he's fifth a fifth year senior doing community service. Obviously, he's a drug dealer. A drug dealer. So he like legitimately, at least we like know this one's criminal history as opposed to make it where we just were like i don't know exactly what you're doing but it's not legal at least rich kids always up to no good in these books like in life but again they're rich so they won't ever do time (laughs) and that's one of the many reasons why our criminal justice system is flawed everyone i can't start i can't start on that so what i'm gonna say is peyton is the most annoying name of all time. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not a great name. It's not a great name. It's not a good name. Yeah, you're right. Just something about it. Oh, it makes me want to like punch you in the face. Especially for a boy. I don't know right. why, but a boy named Peyton. I'm like, oh, you're going to be pretentious, aren't you? Like that just rubs I'm me like the wrong way. A total dickhead. Um, I'm sorry also, for anyone out there named Peyton. <laughs> 
I know. If you're a girl, I dig it. If you're a boy, uh, maybe use your middle name. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of people go by their middle name. That's true. Um, so he's a fifth year senior. So he's like 18, 19 years old, right? Yeah. And Caitlin's and she 16 years just old. just turned 16. Yeah. So not terrible, but also there is like a three-year age difference there that is going to, of course, be part of the power dynamic that mm-hmm. makes this abusive relationship possible. And I'm not saying that there's always an age difference in abusive relationships, because obviously that is not true. But in my personal anecdotal experience, the person who emotionally abused me was older. And that was kind of one of the reasons. Like... It wasn't because he was older and he emotionally abused me, but there was this weird power dynamic like in our relationship. And it was definitely because of our age difference. Yes. Um, thank you. My abuser was also older than me. He was three years older than me. And he had a child. Mm. Mm. Something about that. Something about older men. I just think that like, well, because they like prey on younger women because they know that right yeah they can there's a reason they're not dating women their age and again i said this before and i'll say it again my husband and i have an age difference quite a considerable like not crazy considerable age difference but we definitely have an age difference and obviously you can date people that are not in your age and it can work out really well i like to think it works out pretty well between me and my husband but the time that we found each other in our lives is you know what made the world of difference and the fact that he didn't use it as a weird controlling power dynamic over me that also played a good, no. good role in, in why it worked out for us that's not mike's thing yeah definitely not his thing uh so yeah back into chapter six here we're basically fighting with mom and dad about she can go out dad's like yeah mom's like you just have so much on your plate and you have a test or whatever and she's like jesus christ mom it's saturday like i will study tomorrow it's fine and for the first time ever, I'm like, yes, just listen to your mother and stay in because just this boy is not oh. going to be any good. And then we get into what is probably the worst first date of all time. And I don't know why she ever wanted to see this boy again, except for the fact that, like, mentally she is going through a lot of things right now. And she's searching for connection in all the wrong places is why. But he essentially picks her up. And then takes her on drug deals. Like, that is what he does. He drives her around to go sell drugs. That's what he does. she, like, waits in the car. Am I right? Yeah. The one place she goes in, because that's more of, like, a party. And so he's like, yeah, follow me, I guess. And then the next place is, like, a trailer park. And it's, like, a mom and her kid. And so he's like, oh, no, like, just stay in the car for this one. And she kind of, like, says something to him at some point about, like, Oh, yeah. She's like, you haven't even talked to me since she picked me up. And he's like, talked, he said. The lighter popped with a click and he reached forward to grab it. Yes. Um, and he's like, okay, then what do you want to talk about? And then he's all like, she just want me to take you home? And she's like, no. And I'm like, no, girl, just like go home. And then they go to his parents, which they're having... I don't know exactly. Like, what? Some kind of party? I don't know if it's like for his dad's job, the mom's job, but it seems like some kind of like work sort of function at their house that they're hosting. And they're very upset that he was late, essentially. Um, he stays out in the pool house, which is just the most rich kid BS I've ever heard. 
Yeah. Can you imagine having a pool house? Can you imagine right. having a pool? Oh, wait. I, I had a pool growing up. I'm a fucking asshole. Sorry. <laughs> I've been I broke for so long that I'm like, was Forgot there ever a like time? A I was upper middle class at one point. I do not remember this. That is so foreign to me. I can't even tell you. Um, we did not have a pool, but my adorable grandma did have a pool and she lived pretty close. So we just like rode our bikes to her house. Stop being so cute. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Um, I do want to say on page 75 that mm-hmm. she is surprised that he's selling drugs, which is confusing. It's like, that's how you she, met him, basically. Right. Like, you saw him selling drugs already. So what are you confused about? Yeah. Ma'am? Yeah. So <laughs> they are out. This isn't when they're at the trailer in the country. And he makes her wait in the car for 18 and a half minutes. Like, why would you not leave after that? She then goes to his parents' house. Like, why? Why would you? This is his first date. Drug dealing and taking her to his parents' like work function at their house is like his idea. Right. And it only (laughs) And she goes with it. She goes with it. So yeah, when they show up Sorry, go ahead. He doesn't tell her that he's at his house, do they? Does he? No, like when they pull up, he isn't like, oh yeah, this is my house and my parents are having a thing. He just like, he took her to two different places. This is the third place they show up. And when they go in, she recognizes his mom because as she had like mentioned earlier, like her face is all around town. So she realizes like, oh, this is where he lived. Also though, apparently one pro for Rogerson he must be very neat and tidy because she mentions the pool house is like very well kept. And she's like, Oh, it's probably a maid. But then she realized something he did and is like, Oh no. Like I think he just might be neat and tidy. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, interesting. That's, yeah. It's probably because of his dad, but probably. it's funny to me that he brings her to his house for the first time. And he like has her smoke pot before they go in. Yes. Also, another thing I want to note is that she keeps saying that they're smoking weed out of a ceramic bowl. Mm. And has Sarah Dessen ever smoked weed before? Because I have, I've seen ceramic bowls now on like TikTok. Yeah. That are like handmade. Right. But it's like always glass. I've never smoked out of something ceramic. I wonder if that was yeah. like. Maybe. That, do you think it was like of the time sort of thing? Maybe. And like in this book. The other night, like Mike came in and he, they're like talking about it and they always refer to it as pot. And I was like, oh, it's so funny. Like, that's just very like of the time. Like, I just feel like our generation always just says like weed. (laughs) So yeah, we get, okay. So here basically is where we find out, which unfortunately is a very sad, but true statistic, the cycle of abuse. So we get to the house, her, uh, her mom, (laughs) Rogerson's mom is all like, your dad's really not pleased with you. And you know, you said you're going to be here and where were you? And so they go to the pool house, dad comes in and he just hits him like hits him very hard across the temple and as you can we basically learn that he is abusive um and i think that makes me very sad is even though yes it is a very true and very sad statistic that there is a cycle of abuse it also does make me super super sad that when people did grow up in a parental abuse situation that they are then afraid to enter relationships or have kids of their own because they're afraid that they're going to do it. Just because you have been abused obviously doesn't mean you are going to. You were a victim. Obviously, in this situation, Rogerson is a victim. Um, and he does, 
you know, he does end up continuing the cycle, but I'd always breaks my heart when I hear people are like afraid to have kids or whatever, because they were hurt when they were a kid. And it's like, no, that you were not a bad person. Like a bad thing happened to you. You were not a bad person. And that's such an important distinction. So while this does happen to be an example of it going the wrong way, there are so, so many good examples of it not continuing. And I just wanted to point that out because, because yeah. (laughs) Yes. The latest Bachelorette (laughs) from the show, The Bachelorette. favorite thing when you get excited about the bachelor or bachelorette it's so good but anyway um she has like part of her like whole storyline is that her mom was like a shitty mom and then like abandoned her basically and like has nothing to do with her anymore so she was like constantly the really fucked up thing about this show is like how real the traumas are that when they bring them up but she was like constantly terrified of like even the idea of becoming a mom because she was like what if i end up exactly like my mom and it's like the fact that you're so concerned about that means means that it's not gonna happen but also like that is so horrible and i'm so sorry it makes me so sad it is i mean there's just so many everyday like traumas that people go through that really messes them up and it just makes me so sad that like yeah people live in fear of something like that like oh god what if i turn you you're you're not your parents <laughs> like right. i have really good news you are not your parents you are your own person you could be your own person you can live a really happy fulfilling life <laughs> yes you can break the cycle of abuse it yes. is in your power to do so yeah preach so we get to um she like comforts him after his father hits yeah. him and then they have like this whole moment which, yeah, so they basically just wanted the very worst first date ever, and they have this moment, and he's he's basically vulnerable for a minute, which one would be after something like that happens. And then it's like, that's what kind of turns the date around, which is so sad. Like, that's what kind of makes her want to stay. And it's like, no. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Check up on the guy. Make sure he's. If I saw something like that, I don't think I could completely exit that person's life because I would be concerned. Like, oh God, like this person is really going through something. But that doesn't mean you have to like stay in a, a romantic relationship with him. He still took you on the world's worst first date. Right. So. Right. Like, yeah. That's a thing. Like, I feel like we do have this problem because, especially back in this time period, is I think it's a little better now. But like we've always been told and conditioned that women should be like taking care of people and like Mm. fixing people. So when you see like a man in this vulnerable state and see this horrible thing happening to him, you're like, Oh, it's my responsibility to pick up the pieces and like believe in him and let him uh, like thrive with my support. And that is, that'll get you in a bad situation. You can fix him. And listen here, ladies, you can't. You <laughs> You know, it's going to fix him therapy. <laughs> and like that, that's what he needs. He doesn't need a, a girlfriend. Trust me. It's not going to end well. Trust and believe. We know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's definitely. Yeah, I agree. I think it's gotten, I, I hope, a lot better. But yeah, I think that is something, girl, the the caretaker, the you can fix him. Oh, he just needs love. And then, no, no. I actually get like so excited when I hear about my how my nieces and nephews handle boys. Like my niece 
there was some boy, my niece is 13, almost 14. And there was this boy last year who was like playing a bunch of girls and the girls like screenshotted everything and like put it all over the internet and was like, this is happening. Fuck this guy. And like, just like moved on. And they were like, nope, we're not doing this. And it's like, that would have never happened when I was your age. Right. Ever like that. And my niece is like, just like so sure of herself and like she doesn't take like any shit and she's just like I am here doing my thing and I'm like that's amazing to see I love that bless honestly that is yeah I feel like yeah and our day back in our day in high school it was I really hate the internet and and stuff Mm -hmm. sometimes I it's a blessing and a curse like most new technologies especially when we are of the generation that's growing up. We're the guinea pig generation of, of learning it. But the, I think there's so many things like the fact that like sometimes I'm like, Oh God, these kids as seeing social media, having, you know, mm-hmm. the pressures of it. Like I can't imagine that. But then I think certain things like, yeah, like being able to screenshot and whatever, and then banning together. And I'm like, hells yeah, sisters. And I love nowadays. I think back in the day it was so easy for women to pit each other against each other in a situation yeah. like that. And I love that now they're like, no, the guy is wrong. We're on the right and we're going to stand together and we're going to ostracize him. And it's like, yeah, 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 to the, yeah, yeah. No girl, girl on girl crime. No yeah. girl on girl. Yeah, I love that. We ain't about that for sure. I we get to so what is part two. Essentially, the first part was called cast. This part, as we start here, chapter seven, uh, today is called Rogerson. So we start page 89, chapter seven, um, which she basically is just saying that, like, from that point on, like, her and Rogerson are inseparable, which, ah, right there, mm-hmm. there's your flag. You sure are. Um, and she says that basically oh so this is just a little funny for me she's basically saying that they never really went on dates which again ugh, gross um she says that she just you know like for him is all about motion they're always like going from party place to place whatever yeah because he's basically just having you tag along while he deals drugs and so she yeah. says um on the top of page 91 to the college guys in the dorm room with the huge bob marley poster and the couch that smelled like rancid beer and it's like I love college guys because all of them are such a stereotype of themselves. Yeah. Like we all knew that guy that like got into college basically was like, wow, weed is awesome. And then, yeah, just like straight up was like 420 man putting in the Bob Marley poster up and like <laughs> turning into a stereotype of myself. And yes. we did, we all knew, we all knew that person. And you know what? They were usually pretty, pretty good guys, but <laughs> so stereotypical. <laughs> um, so that just cracked me up because I was like, yeah, I knew that guy. Uh, so yeah, just talking about they go back and forth uh, all the time. Um, and if this is his idea of a date, I guess he takes her to McDonald's to buy chocolate shakes and they go to Topper Lake to like hook up. And she talks about how they fight um, about music and stuff all the time. And of course, he's listening to classic rock that means something. And she's listening to but pop music and so one time he gets in the car and he's like what is this shit and she's like number one in the country i told him smugly and i was like yes queen yes queen <laughs> I, hate, I hate when people are pretentious about music and it's like oh this popular stuff and it's like yeah it's popular for a reason because it's fucking good <laughs> also a lot of the like times it. not to soapbox here everybody but 
a lot of the times the things that are seen in society as like unintelligent or meaningless or stupid is marketed towards women is written by women is sung by women and because it is women focused it's inherently like stupid when that is not the fucking case at all yep at all okay pisses me off so much oh my gosh and there's always that fucking guy that's like it's girl it's for girls like it's crazy to me how many men are like ashamed to admit that they like taylor swift or have to like preface it with like well i think it's cool she writes her own songs like they like you know what i mean like because they know that like in society because it's something that's very popular amongst women that they're like not allowed to like and it's like no just say you effing like taylor swift because she's one of the best songwriters of our generation you don't have to preface it you don't have to bag on her just say you like her music (laughs) right right everyone likes her music it's fine and we had this fucking neighbor in Albany and I know he won't hear this. So you don't have to cut it out because his girlfriend unfollowed me on Instagram like right away. But he was such a pretentious asshole, dude. And he used to. Sh- I told him that I went to the Jonas Brothers concert. He made fun of me for like 10 minutes. I was like, I fucking love the Jonas Brothers. You're like, cool, There's bro. literally no shade. Like there's music so fun. It always has been. Yeah. So, um, and then me and hit me and Andrew were talking about how we watched One Tree Hill together, and the guy called Andrew gay. Okay, first of all, what year is it? Like, really, that's the insult you're going right. with. And second of all, fuck right off. <laughs> right, like I like looked at him and I was like, you call yourself like liberal and you act yeah. like you're on your fucking high horse and everyone in the South is stupid and you're smarter than everyone because you were raised in New York. And you're going to use gay as an insult to a man who watches a show that was marketed towards women. That's actually good and entertaining. Please get out of here. Like, no, 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 no. The amount of the Grateful Dead in your closet. Yeah, for the love of God. And just the amount (sighs) of like. So mad. I love movies a lot. I love TV shows a lot, as everyone knows, because I won't stop sh- like talking about them on this podcast. But I, I just like love pop culture, like books, movies, whatever. I took some classes in college, or did a movie theater, as I mentioned earlier on this podcast. And I run in a lot of film circles, I guess you could say. Like a lot of my friends I found through different internet forums about movies. And because of that, it's obviously a lot of dude bros and it's always pretentious guys that like want to tell you why certain and like you're not allowed to like, like rom-coms because they're marketed to women. And I was like, when I met Sally is one of the greatest movies that's ever been made. So you can Mm -hmm. shut up right now. (laughs) Like the amount of fights I had to have with stupid pretentious guys. And again, guys who like really thought that they were so progressive and like good guys that would just like shit on things because it was marketed at women and i was like you're not a cool progressive guy if you like can't see that <laughs> you know? right you're not a cool progressive guy if you make fun of women things and if like no 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 like you're a misogynist and you're using your political liberalness to like put you back on this high horse because that's right. where you live you just look down on everyone and you think you're hot shit and i'm so sorry for any woman who dates you and that's oh all i have to God. say seriously seriously so anyway now that i'm i'm like two glasses of wine and i'm like fuck that page oh my god literally this is me though anytime 
okay <laughs> so like anytime i go out if i have like more than two drinks and i'm with a certain group of friends i literally we just sit in the corner and i'm like and another thing <laughs> and i'm like i don't know why i just go on feminist rants when i get drunk but oh, evidently it really brings it out in me it's fine oh my god when my <laughs> company so i'm working i i'm hitting my one year mark at my corporate job i've never Ooh. worked a corporate job this is my first one so it's been a learning curve and <laughs> I'm also like extremely unfiltered and I like just don't really think a lot before I like start conversations like is this conversation appropriate to be having right now you know I don't think about that stuff so I went to a corporate like meetup in Minneapolis last April and got drunk and a bunch of my coworkers are Republicans mm. and I went like out of my way to like debate political things with these people and like, luckily, the woman that I talked to, like 90% of the time is like kind of my mentor. And she's actually super sweet. And she's like, the most lovely person ever. And we were having a very respectful conversation. And we were hearing each other out. And it's like, totally fine. We love each other. Um, But like, it's just like, uh, once I start drinking, it's like, I don't know when to like, limit those kinds of conversations. I get bored with like stupid just, shit. I'm like, no, let's talk just about come your out. childhood trauma. Let me know <laughs> everything that's happened to you. I want to know it all. I don't want to sit here and talk about the fucking weather. I really don't know how. I was listening to something the other day about this, about like, you know, like the bar scene, like going out to bars and like trying to basically like pick up people, right? And I was like, I really don't know how that's a thing for people. Because, yeah, like, when I get drunk, I don't want to do the, like, flirty talk or, like, small talk with people. Like, I do suddenly, like, very much I'm like, how are we going to solve the climate crisis? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, that's what I turn into. So, like, how do people do bars, like, and not turn into suddenly, like, get on their soapbox people? Because that's me drunk. <laughs> That's me drunk, like 100%. And like, also, I don't want to waste my time with people if we're not going to agree. You know what I mean? Like, if you think yeah. that like abortion isn't like a human right, like, I'm all set. Um, But one thing I will say is like, when I first started dating Andrew, I had just gotten out of an engagement. It was a really bad relationship. And I asked him intense questions right off the bat. <laughs> Do you want kids? Do you want to get married? Would you be okay with me wanting you to ask my dad's permission before proposing? Like, these were like fundamental things. So I was like, I don't want kids. So if you want kids, I'm not even going to waste my time. Right. And, and then like, it was just like, he was like, oh my God, this is kind of intense. Like, and I'm like, trial? I'm like, I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. Like, buddy. let's just, I think I'm kind of intense when I first, ever since like, I was before, but ever since my like really bad relation i think maybe maybe it's the thing about people getting in really bad relationships the next time you're just like i'm laying it all out right now one of i was thinking about this the other day in reading this book and thinking about this relationship and like the boundaries that i formed for myself after being in an emotionally abusive relationship and i was thinking about the movie 500 days of summer mm -hmm. and how much i love it and how many people much like fight club Dubros mm. went and saw it and didn't understand the point of it. And I was like, the whole point is you're supposed to be on her side because she very clearly states what she wants. And I kind of did that. And the relationship that I was with this one guy who ended up treating me very, very poorly. And he made me feel bad about it. And then one day I woke up and I was like, 
no, 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 no. I was very clear with what I wanted out of this. And I'm right. He's wrong. And like, I had this like light bulb moment. And ever since then, like when I started my relationship with my husband, literally the night that we kind of started talking and we're like, we think we might want to be more than friends. Like we weren't like officially like FBO or anything, you know, but like we were like, we might want to date each other. And yeah, before I even like started dating, I like basically gave him a questionnaire and told him very firmly things I believed in that I would not back down from and whatever. And one of the big things for me, because which is going to come up a lot in this chapter, which is a total abuse tactic is separating someone from their group of family and friends and whatever. Like that's classic abusive behavior. And we start seeing that here in chapter seven. Um, I I had that uh, very much so with one of my, uh, my, the guy who was very uh, emotionally abusive to me. And thankfully, because I do have such a good core relationship with my family, I I never really lost sight of them. But some of my friends, I did kind of lose sight of because of him. And I I made it very clear um, when I started dating my husband. And I was like, my friends and my family have been my friends and my family for years. They are going to be my friends and my family no matter what happens in this relationship. So I will not cut them out of my life. I will make time to see my friends. I won't hang out with you every day. And you are not allowed to guilt trip me for not hanging out with you every day. If that is not okay with you, sign out now because like I'm not doing that again you know (laughs) and like it's sad that you have to like make that abundantly clear sometimes but yeah like I'm not gonna waste my time with someone who's like you're spending too much time with your friends you're spending too much time with your family and it's like yeah I had a life before you and I'm gonna continue to have that life even though you're together like you're supposed to be an additive thing not a detractive thing right exactly yeah I unfortunately was in an abusive relationship and then moved to Florida and a year later got into another relationship, which I don't like to call abusive because I have like generally good feelings towards my ex fiance at this point. I understand where he was coming from. I kind of understand, like, I don't think he's an abusive person. I just mm. think our relationship was extremely toxic right. and it's very possible it was both ways. But so I don't like to put like that kind of like, I don't like to talk shit about him basically right. um, but it was a very toxic relationship and it was extremely unhealthy and I was completely isolated from every single one of my friends so it was like back to back I've been these relationships that were just like absolutely deteriorating to my mental health and I was like so when I started seeing Andrew and I realized it wasn't gonna be like a casual kind of thing um, <laughs> which was my intention <laughs> um I was like yeah this isn't like I can't mess around like I can't do this bad shit again so I like need to get some ground rules laid here because this is that I can't do it again yeah 100% I think that's totally fair I think everyone there's nothing wrong with setting your boundaries and making it very clear like what you want out of something and I know that I don't know. I tell friends all the time, like, it's like this game, right? When you're in the talking phase relationship in this day and age with dating apps and right. texting and whatever, like we don't date the way we used to. Right. And so many people, you know, like my friends will be like, Oh, I met up with this guy. He texted me this. How should I respond? And I'm like, truthfully, like I've never like played that. Like, well, I don't know right. what to say. Like I'm like a very honest person in both by platonic and romantic relationships. So that boggles my mind where people are like, what's the right thing to say? And I'm like, 
the truth. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll, you know, so what if he doesn't like it? And I'm like, don't waste your time on him then. It's my personal opinion. <laughs> right. But well, it was just me. <sighs> I know. Yeah, I can have a hard time. I can sometimes be a little too in- I'm a little intense. What? No. <laughs> I've never found that about you, my <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an intense. You're just good, like real real like Boston real quick it's like basically I'm like oh the northeast is coming out okay <laughs> down the address everyone oh but man was like, it I can tell now okay so if you're not following like Mike Lan on any social media which uh it, it's a really great time everyone just want you to know <laughs> but like I can tell from your facial expression when I like start an Instagram story if it's gonna be like a rant or if it's gonna be like just like a normal like oh whatever I did this today kind of thing because like there are certain ones that's like, like you were posed and you were ready for something and I'm like oh it's gonna be good like I get so excited <laughs> to click on it because I'm like oh she's fired up about something <laughs> and it gets me like it'll be like in your car like like the good best ones are like when you're in your car and it's like you've been driving around and you've been thinking about it and like yeah. it just comes out <laughs> I was my favorite thing. really fucking pissed this past year when I was living in Albany because people were like non-stop talking about like how everyone in the south is racist and I'm like no, the fucking self has the biggest population of black people in the entire country. And you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is where grassroots movements are happening. You're a lazy liberal. And it would get me really, really got real. Go real heated. Also, I have it was a good no rant. life, y'all. I have I have no life. And Albany, I literally didn't leave my apartment for that entire year. I had very few friends and I was working from home and I just never left my apartment. So I had nothing but time to get mad. Get real, get real fired up with that stuff. <laughs> That's my thing. I get real fired up. It's, it's just who I am. Also, I'm starting to get drunk. So we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> my friend has to go to bed, everyone. And she's starting to feel We're really Her thoughts and feelings on the patriarchy. If she takes any more sips of that one, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to make my desk a standing desk. Um, <laughs> about to happen all right chapter seven so they're talking about the the music they're fighting over that um he says oh she says i don't even know why i like you and i'm like yes go with go with those those feelings and again he brings up the effing hair and he's like yeah he spelled on me it's the hair and i'm like no it's not it's not your stupid dreadlocks like get out of here uh they do talk about a page 93 she says again this is ugh, just one of his many flaws um, he divided the world's coolie into black and white, no grays or middle ground. That's a problem. Um, people were either um, cool or assholes, situations good or bad. My friends in my life at school consistently fell into each of the latter. And it's like, yep, he's already doing it. He's already telling her that like her life isn't good enough. Her friends aren't good enough. He wants to hang out. Like as the chapter progresses, it turns more and more to like he can't tolerate her friends and she has to go like hang out with like his cooler friends, basically. Yeah. So he's already like starting to separate her, which ooh. Yeah, we could we start to see like on these pages. Um also I want to say on page 90, she says, 
Um, the first week, whenever I thought about him, I remember brushing my finger over his eyebrow, tracing the hurt, trying to give back what his father had taken away. Now I take that bit of Rogerson and hold it close to me. That fall, as I struggled to leave Cass's shadow behind once and for all, he was just what I needed. Um, so again, like we're seeing how she's primed and ready for an abusive relationship. She's completely vulnerable. She's feeling completely lost. She's having this like major life change and she's like, oh, cool, something I can fix. Um, and then on pages 92 and 93, as we were talking about, like, we start to see kind of the groundwork that gets laid when you get into a, an abusive relationship, which is like belittling your intelligence by making fun of, you know, interests you have, like, you know, music and and stuff like that. And then we can see that he's isolating her by being like, your friends are a bunch of idiots. I don't know why you hang out with them, um, which, like, again, I was like, I just had to, like, poke the book down during this chapter because i was like oh my god this is bringing up like so much yeah. um but yeah we see like we see like the groundwork being laid for this like absolutely terrible relationship um like you can tell sarah dustin has clearly experienced this for herself or at least got like some real in-depth information from people who have because it's so like everything's so subtle but when you know you know yeah, I mean. exactly. And I think that's a really great thing about like this chapter is she does really lay the groundwork really well because it doesn't like happen overnight. It's not like one day you meet a person the next day they're just like a complete abusive asshole. It is these like little things that build and build and build until it crescendos. And so I I think that this chapter does that really beautifully, like lays that groundwork of those little microaggressions that turn into very, very big aggressions as things kind of go forth. The other thing that makes me really sad in this chapter is when Boo and uh, Caitlin's mom are talking about like her little hobbies and stuff and the different things she's been doing. And for instance, the Victorian era dolls. And so she's like, <laughs> oh, Cass and I were thinking about doing a photography class, but then it just never happened. She went away for the summer and now obviously she's gone. And so we was like, oh, you should do it. So when um, Caitlin comes in, she kind of hears this conversation. Caitlin basically volunteers to do the photography class with her and her mom kind of like shoots her down at first, which breaks yeah. my heart. Like, oh, like you're not good enough. Like I, she doesn't say that to her, but that's 100% how Caitlin interprets it, which I obviously understand how she could interpret it that way. Absolutely. And then she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I just, you're really busy with everything. I don't want to, you know, overwhelm you. And she's like, I've got time for that, mom. And that just really made me sad. <laughs> yeah, that was a really huge bummer. This whole conversation she has with Boo is also a really big bummer. Like, I have on highlighted on page 96. I still can't believe she would have been unhappy. I mean, when we went to buy those pillow shams for Yale, she was so excited. Just excited as me. I know she was. And it's just, like, obvious how... Her mom isn't seeing any reality, really, right. because in the beginning of the novel, um, Caitlin makes it clear that Cass had been off for a whole year ever yep. since her man broke up with her. And for mom to be like, she was so happy. She was so excited. It's like, mm -hmm. obviously, not. you were excited. You were right. Happy. Not I know. Exactly. It's so it's so funny, like, because you see. Yeah, like, the two different, like, perceptions of her. And, like, obviously, Caitlin was certainly seeing something that, like, the mom wasn't. Like, the mom was definitely projecting her thoughts and feelings on her daughter, which... Oh, poor, 
Poor Cass. Poor Cass. Poor Caitlin. Both of them. Just poor entire family. <laughs> yeah. And then on page 98, um, Caitlin says that she feels like Boo is the only one who even noticed she was alive, which is like. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a dagger right to the yeah. heart. That's so depressing. Uh, she has her little run-in with Mike Evans, which, oh my god, guys, like, when they are rejected, don't they just, the nice guy is suddenly not so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Mike is kind of like, people are talking shit about you, they're saying things about you, Rogerson is trouble, and again, like, we're not getting any, like, specifics, it's really just, sound- and it's like, you know, me and you know that Rogerson is trouble because this is a book about an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but here, it doesn't seem like Mike has, like, good intentions. He's literally just jealous because she picked Rogerson over him. And Mike is, like, oh, you know, doing that thing where he's like, he's not your type. People are talking about you. Right. That's like, cool. Thanks, man. That's That's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, cool. Like, I still remember... My abuser and I worked in the same restaurant and he had worked there for many years. And I remember people who were like saying things that just sounded like they were jealous. And then right. like people who were like genuinely like, you need me to walk you to your car? Do you need help? Like, you know, and you can fucking tell. You can tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, Rogerson comes in and he does that, like, big man protect oh, yeah. girlfriend thing. And I love she, like, kind of him. likes it, which, again, this is what happens. If, no, if anyone ever says the word to you, I'm going to get on my quick soapbox here. I'm going to try to make this tangent quick because we're wasting daylight. But <laughs> if anyone ever says to you, it's just a movie, it fucking isn't. Movies literally show us how to be as people i i took a um, mass media class once and i thought that this person said like the smartest thing i've ever heard which is movies don't teach you the 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 like actual act of sex but everything else that you know about sex you learn from movies like setting yeah. the scene and the candles and the romance and the whatever and the music and what you should do how did we all learn that we learned that from movies obviously the actual act you learn from like your health class or whatever and experimentation maybe but, <laughs> but like like there's so many things that you learn like the fact that sharks were so feared after the movie jaws came out like yeah there's something people were afraid mm-hmm. of but the fact that they were hunted and the fact that the beaches literally saw loss of numbers like if anywhere says to you it's just a movie like they're wrong like movies yeah. are a reflection of us and they teach us how to be human beings in a sense and this right here this like her being like oh i feel good because he protected me where do we learn that we learn that from yeah. movies and it's like oh it's it's cute if he's a little jealous right it's cute if he wants to defend my honor and it's like we learn that from movies and then teenage girls think that that's like cute and like yeah obviously you don't want your person your partner in life to like not want to defend your honor and stick up for you but like it's not cute if like he sees you talking to a guy and he instantly is like i'm a bow up i'm a big tough man and right. yeah that's my rant about how movies teach us things and if people are ever like i don't understand you're so upset this is just a movie it's not <laughs> it no. just isn't. Yeah. and this right here is why right. <laughs> not like this exactly 
Right. Like our culture or like our pop culture like defines our society in such a huge way that people just like completely overlook, Mm -hmm. Um, which is silly to me because it's obvious, as you said. Yeah. So gross. Uh, Then she starts talking about how Cass's first real boyfriend, Jason, who was the guy who broke her heart, was like very involved with their family and came over a lot and did stuff with her family. And she says she can't picture Rogerson being that kind of guy, um, which you definitely want to date someone who likes being with your family, in my opinion. Um, Very true. And, like, my nephew texted me the other day and was like, what's Andrew's phone number? Aw, bless. Just die. It's so cute. But, um, yeah, she's like, oh, you know, well, he wouldn't do that. He's not a date guy. But on trivia night with Boo, Stuart, and her parents, they're like, bring him in. And then this is where we find out that Rogerson is, like, extremely smart. Yes. Which, Which was also, surprising. like, but I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, it isn't, it isn't. Like, I feel like you do have to be very intelligent to be, like, manipulative, right? And, like, so much of abuse is, like, manipulation. I don't know, because, like, one of my abuser, or one of my toxic relationship people was dumb as bricks. <laughs> I, I mean, they definitely <laughs> can be, I don't know, dumb. But, like, yeah. I just feel like... It sort of tracks for him that, like, like this particular character, I guess, that, like, he would be smart. Because it's like, well, yeah, because he, like, you know, like, it's just, like, it kind of fits in that, like, rich guy, pretentious, manipulative kind of thing. Also, we see later at some point, oh, on page, on 115, I'm skipping way ahead, but on page 115, she's like, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, my grandfather would buy me trivia books and then test me on them, which, which like, seems like what? unhealthy. Like, it does seem like there's some yeah. sort of pressure that was put on him to be like extra smart. And yes. that's why he is not necessarily because he like enjoys that stuff. Yeah, I think it, it's yeah, his family, his family life seems very uh, interesting, to say the least. Yeah, there are those like, it's like another um Dan Scott. Yes. Famous yes. family legacy kind of dude. Oh, this whole bit at the end here of this chapter. Again, they kind of the chapter ends uh essentially they're at like another like this whole chapter is kind of just about the beginning of their relationship, kind of finding a little bit about Rodderson finding out that he is actually quite intelligent again even if it was kind of for a read reason weird reason he does have this intelligence and um and it's very much about like him kind of pushing her away from her crowd and she's kind of getting away from the cheerleader stuff and and more into the like going around to parties and making out in pool houses and all that kind of stuff sort of scene um this whole bit at the end though is just kind of like weird and funny about the the great skin when they're talking to uh is it Karina or Karina? How have you been pronouncing that? I'm not sure. But she's like complimenting her on her skin or whatever. And oh, yeah. then they like they're eating the dinner that like Dave made 
and she's like still watching these like acne commercials i don't know it's just like kind of it's sort of a weird ending to this chapter but i guess just kind of showing us how yeah she's kind of slowly but surely really kind of delving into his world which again i'm sure some of these people are, are really perfectly fine people but yeah they make the comment about how she's like the rebel cheerleader they're really into like oh she's a cheerleader she can't possibly be bad and it's like you've clearly never met a cheerleader because all the cheerleaders i knew in high school were like the biggest partiers but right but all right <laughs> yeah i think that the like corinne what was the hell was her name corinna, it corinna? i feel dumb but i'm like i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing i, I don't think i've ever seen that name in my life me if anybody out there knows let us know <laughs> please um please tell but us. I think, like, so when you're in an abusive relationship, there's the part of them that is, like, good and you enjoy. And that's what keeps you in the relationship. So I think this is kind of one of those things that's like, oh, well, he has these super nice friends. Right. So, and his friends are, like, super cool and we're smoking pot and we're chilling in their house. And it's like, they're like like very welcoming to her like they're, right. here they are complimenting her skin making her dinner you know like they're having, they're having a pretty nice night i know <laughs> All things considered. um just backing up really quick uh, there was a couple spots i wanted to yes. point out so page 110 it says here rogerson seemed to almost like the fact that i was inexperienced not just about sex but most things he enjoyed carting me around in my cheerleading outfit while he took bong hits or talked business with people who eyed me strangely as if i was a cartoon not quite real this was the same reason i was sure that he'd been interested in me the first night we met it was a fair trade with rogerson i was someone else not Cass, not even me I took his wildness from him and tried to fold it into myself, filling up the empty spaces all those second place finishes had left behind. So this whole this paragraph right here is like loaded because we're seeing mm. that Rogerson likes the fact that she's inexperienced because she's easier to manipulate in that way. Yep. And he can kind of hold his like experience and his intelligence over her in like a in a power imbalance again. And then we see in this paragraph as well how she is trying to, like, escape her current reality. And this is why she is, like, with this man who's a little dangerous because she's like, I want to be, I need to be different, basically. Right. And then on page, oh, sorry. uh, Also on that same, like, bit, she's talking about the fact that, like, she's struggling to keep her grades up. So already we're getting, like, a little red flag of, like, how this relationship is affecting her negatively not saying the grades are everything but i mean you know it's she like she's clearly a pretty bright girl who's a pretty decent student and now this guy is like already kind of you know tanking her grades right yeah she like he's like naturally smart because his grandfather was some weirdo who like jeopardied him as a kid (laughs) um but she is just like a normal person so it's like she can't keep up right and you know she's as you said, she's, like, falling behind her. Her grades are shit. She's, like, with this guy all the time. And you might be thinking to yourself, where are her parents? Well, my mother, <laughs> now distracted with Cass's Lamont Whipper sightings, had eased off her own involvement in my cheerleading, something that almost, almost would have bothered me had I really taken the time to think about it. It was so easy, again, for Cass to take center stage. Like again, we're seeing, like, she has grown up in Cass's shadow. She has grown up as like the second option and like not as important, not as good, I guess, like not as worthy of love. 
which is why she is now like super into this dangerous, mysterious guy mm-hmm. who's giving her like the attention she's always craved. Looking for love in the wrong places. Ugh. In the wrong places. That's also yeah. shout out Corinna or I think it's Corinna. Right? So, <laughs> I hope. Uh, worked at Applebee's. You worked at Applebee's, right? Yes. Yes. Shout out. Yes, Corinna. Girl. How's to the uh of course Corinna is a server, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you wouldn't even have had to tell tell me and I'd know. be like, yeah, that tracks. Uh, yeah. And that's that takes us up to date. We are finished with chapter seven. We'll be back next week with chapter eight. It's gonna get real. Yeah. Oh god. It's gonna the next two installments of this. Um I'll we be better drunk schedule. In the next episode too. Yeah, we also will probably also <laughs> need wine for the next one. Uh we put up a, a tentative schedule. We're usually very good at sticking with our schedules. We probably will it will probably be accurate, but we did just make the little note due to the nature of this. If we at any point need to stop reading or stop recording, we're for our own mental health and and all that jazz. Uh, we're allowing that of ourselves because that's yeah. totally that's totally understandable for us to do. So hopefully you all are understanding if the schedule is not one hundred percent accurate, but um it should be pretty accurate. I'm like losing my voice all of a sudden. I don't know. It's the wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the crazy temperature changes that keep happening in Florida. It's killing my allergies. Mm-hmm. But happening um, here as well. God, it's so geez, I swear. But yeah, so hopefully um we will be able to to stick to that. But just please be understanding that um yeah, I think everyone knows. I think everyone knows this is a tough one, but yeah. it is a tough one, and we're doing our best. I hope everyone out there is doing. I just feel like every week after we breathe this depressing novel, I need to like do a check in with mm-hmm. everyone. I hope everyone's doing okay. Hope everyone has a really glorious week, and we'll be back next week to depress everyone some more yes. <laughs> with wine, though. So who knows, y'all? You might get a patriarchy rant from Michael Ann, so stay and- tuned for that. <laughs> Don't worry, Bethany's family gets cuter and cuter by the episode, so you'll have some happy things to look forward to. I will have some cute tidbit about my family next week, I promise. (laughs) Bring everything. Someday we're going to have your mom on this show. We have to. Irish Gator Girl, I need you in my life. (laughs) Get get on here, mama. Oh my god, she would love it. She would love, she'd be very excited. So anyways, we will see you all next week, and Mm -hmm. thanks for listening. Yeah. Be well out there, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Give your pets kisses. Oh, yeah. They deserve it. And you do, too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.